0: Welcome to episode four of No Coaster Needed. I'm Jacob McCourt. This show is about casual conversations between people of different ages, backgrounds, and from different walks of life. My hope is that the show feels like two friends catching up at a pub with a drink. It's a pub so you don't need a coaster, get it? The entirety of the first season of the show is about people with ties to the Rose City, people with ties to Windsor, Ontario. On today's show, I sat down with Zane Ismail, he is a Senior Consultant Strategic Support Services at the Henry Ford Health System in Detroit, Michigan. Zane has many accolades. Among them, he was named the Positive Professional of the Year by the Leamington Chamber of Commerce in 2015, and was recently named one of Leadership Windsor-Essex 40 Leaders Under 40 for 2018. We recorded this episode in a meeting room at TechTown, Detroit's entrepreneurship hub. On the show, we talked about Zane's first hope to be in hospitality, his aha moment adding impact as an intern at Leamington District Memorial Hospital, his role with the Henry Ford, the various initiatives that he works on in his downtime, and all of the anecdotes in between. This is No Coaster Needed. Intimate conversations with incredible people. Like many of us myself included i think you really struggled with finding what you wanted
1: to do when you were younger so let's start with your earliest desires sure to be in hospitality sure yeah yeah. so that's absolutely accurate Um, i remember growing up not exactly knowing what i wanted to do only because i was someone that was very curious and had a lot of different interests so i remember as a kid um, reading my father's national geographic magazines and being inspired by what i saw Um, very early on in life, just being really interested in what was going on in the news and things like that. And then towards in my high school years, I also really like food, (laughs) um, which, yeah, I really like food and cooking and just being around people. Um, So I really thought, you know, for myself, a a, a career in hospitality would be very interesting, whether it's in the culinary arts side or more so in the hotel management, resort management, things like that, um, that that would be interesting to me. And it just happened at Lajeunesse, um, they, they were launching a pilot program. Um, I think in English they call them the high skills major. So basically high school students at the time were able to graduate high school with a designation, if you will, in a certain area. And so at Lajeunesse they actually launched one for hospitality. So I was one of the pilot kids that went through it. And uh, we spent a lot of time in the school's cafeteria, cooking and learning about hospitality and the culinary arts and things like that. And what was really cool is our high school um, principal at the time was from France, uh, Frédéric Rivière, and he strongly encouraged me to go to France. And we actually went to France um, on a school trip and encouraged me to get involved in the scene over there and learn about wines and all this stuff. And so I graduated high school um, sort of with that affinity, if you will. And when it came down time to picking universities, I realized how foolish it is now in hindsight, but as a, I think it would have been 16 or 17. I didn't know any better, so the only school that really piqued my interest um, was University of Guelph. Uh, They're the only school in Ontario, I think at the university level, that has a business degree tailored to the hospitality program. And so I picked that school. It was the only school I applied to. I applied to the co-op program, which again, I didn't realize the chance of me getting in could have been pretty slim, but luckily I got in Mm -hmm. and, and went. But also at that time, my mother was, and this were where I think my career path is really interesting. My mother was the unit director, unit director of the Aesthetical Services at Henry Ford Hospital here in Detroit. Um, she's an RN, a nurse leader, and has demonstrated herself in women's health. And at the time Henry Ford Health System was building a brand new hospital in West Bloomfield, Michigan. And what they decided to do was hire a gentleman by the name of Gerard Van Grinsven who was a really interesting fellow. Um, He had never worked in healthcare before. Prior to coming to Henry Ford to become the CEO to plan and build this hospital, he worked for the Mm Ritz-Carlton. And so he was the vice president of food and beverage for the Ritz-Carlton, if I got that right, and worked for other hotel chains all around the world. He's a Dutch gentleman, unbelievable uh, social skills, extremely polished, exactly as you would imagine a hotelier to be, beautiful suit, (sighs) just Just interesting guy. And he told you to go to Europe, didn't he? That's right. So what happened was, before I decided to go to Guelph, um, my mother, and again, my mother, I think, pulled me along in the beginning because I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I was just, you know, a kid sitting at home and she's like, Zane, you're coming to work with me today because I set up a meeting with this guy named Gerard. I'm like, Mom, I don't want to (laughs) go. Who's he anyway? I don't. I don't. You're 16. You don't know the gravity of what you have in front of you. Exactly. Like, who's this guy? Whatever. So reluctantly, I went actually went and met with this gentleman at one Ford place, which is the building I actually work in now, which is weird how things come around. And so here I am in front of this guy named Jarvan Grinsven. And again, at the time I wanted to go into hospitality. So for an hour, he sat with myself and my mother and just talked about his career, where he was, everything that he did for the different hotels he worked at. And then for about the last half hour of our meeting, he started to speak to where he saw the intersection between the hospitality industry and healthcare. And he sort of started to tell me about some of his plans. And before we were, basically told me that he's gonna take everything he learned in hospitality and try to find a way to apply it into the health system. And by the end of it, and within an hour of our meeting, he had followed up with me by email and provided me with all these um, schools that he recommends in Switzerland. Uh, kind of in the Geneva area and strongly encouraged me to go to these great schools in Europe. And as a person that was only 17 years old, and I'm so glad I didn't do it, but I wasn't ready to go to Switzerland for school. And I don't think we had the budget to go to Switzerland either. <laughs> How did you know that you weren't ready to, to go overseas? Too far. It's just too far. I couldn't see myself doing that. And at the time, believe it or not, I was actually a very shy and timid person. Mm-hmm. Um, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. And so going to Switzerland probably, it just wasn't gonna work. And I remember like looking at it, pricing it out, and it just seemed way too intimidating. So when I heard about this program at Guelph, I'm like, well, that's, that's good enough. University of Guelph, it's a good school. I'm not too far from home, a three hour drive. And so I signed up, got accepted, and boom, off I went to University of Guelph.
0: So, you go to Guelph. Yes. Uh, you study your first semester. That's right. <laughs> after, after having this chance meeting with uh, the hotelier right. Gerard right. uh, Van, Van Grinsven, but you didn't end up staying in Guelph.
1: So, Guelph was amazing. Um, the school is awesome. Um, so, I remember showing up there during O Week and I got involved right away. Luckily, you know, I was a pretty independent kid growing up. So, you know, I think I fared well. Better than other people. I was just kind of a normal kid, like just trying to get through all of it. Um, Guelph has an amazing orientation program, and you know we're dancing around the campus. I got involved in um, in our hall council, which is the student council there, very early on, and started this hotel and food administration degree. I like the courses. I was in course like lodging management, and actually the first year is a lot of it was just general business course. courses, so macroeconomics, microeconomics, blah, 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 finance, and then you know, lodging management and some other things like that, communications, things like that um, and everything was going great for the first um, four semesters. I loved it. It was a lot of fun um, but then the second semester rolls around right after Christmas time. I remember going This
0: is first year or second year? First year. Okay.
1: So four months into it, Christmas happens, I go home, come back in January the first year and I remember getting into my residence and sitting on the my bed and I'm like, I just remember feeling like anxiety and I'm like oh no and it's almost like all the joy and the passion I had to be there and even for you know the program that I was in was just gone and it was within a week um, a week of that just really thinking about what I wanted to do and I really wanted to be closer to home and around my family and I don't know Windsor-Essex and at the time I wasn't spending so much time in Detroit, but you don't really realize how connected you are to where you grew up or where you live until you go away. And then I also realized that if I wanted to be super successful in hospitality, like a Mr. Van Grinsven or like an Isidore Sharp who founded the Four Seasons, there was probably no opportunity to do that in Windsor since we don't have super high-end restaurants or super high-end properties. So I realized that if I'm going to be this person in that industry. I'm gonna to have to like move away, like maybe to Switzerland, maybe to I don't know France, like somewhere far, far away from Windsor, Essex. And so it was that decision, sort of, sort of thinking through that, that made me realize, okay, it's time to come home and just like regroup. So luckily, um, one day I called my mom, actually emailed my mom. <laughs> Long story short, within like three or four hours, I was in the back or in, in the cab of my our family pickup, speeding back towards Windsor with all my stuff in tow. Like I had just packed everything up, we're done, literally like in, in, in two hours, like gone. Like just threw it into the truck, gave my keys back to residence, and then called the university the next morning and disenrolled, if that's a term. And then luckily my sister was, uh, my twin sister by the way, was enrolled at the Odette School of Business in Windsor. And she helped me with her guidance. I did a walk-in admission to the Odette School of Business, and they let me in. And then, so the rest of the story of how I eventually got into healthcare is um, I spent two or three years, I guess, sort of finishing up my business degree at the Odette School of Business. I started to realize I had an interest in kind of like strategy and, you know, being a curious person, like understanding like innovation and things like that. And I also always kind of wanted to be a bit of an entrepreneur and, Make money doing something. And I also had an aunt at the time. Still, I don't know why I said at the time. <laughs> I still have an aunt um, who is very much an entrepreneur, worked in real estate, worked in um, selling art, started her own company. And we had always been very close and still are. And so it was that influence. But the thing that kind of brought it all together, is I was sitting in the student lounge and all of a sudden an announcement came through email that said, hey, there's this special topics course called Healthcare Innovation and Leadership with Dr. Ann Snowden. And I literally remember sitting there reading the email. And all of a sudden, like, I just, it's like this light went off in my head. I'm like, wow, this is a cool topic. Um, you know, I know a little bit about healthcare growing up, you know, with a nurse as a mother. Um, it's amazing what you can just learn from hearing things, right? And I knew that that was a great industry. Um, I knew that I was American, and there are some great hospitals over here in Detroit and some great ones also in Windsor because um, I was born because my mother was a nurse at Henry Ford. And you're both, are you a dual citizen? Yes, I have dual citizenship, which has been very helpful given what I'm doing now. Um, And so I enrolled in this course, and uh, sooner or later I was in this course with Dr. Ann Snowden. Um, There's only 10 of us in the course. It was almost like more of a seminar than it was a class. And literally, Dr. Snowden walks in on the first day and introduced herself. And at the time, I had no idea who she was, didn't realize she was, at the time, she was the chair for the International Center for Health Innovation at the Ivy Business School and also had an appointment. Uh, with the nursing school in Windsor. And she gets up and she says, guys, I'm essentially, I'm paraphrasing, I'm going to teach you um, essentially how to solve all of our health system problems in Canada by learning from other industries. And I had this moment that is so clear, um, I'll never forget it. I think Oprah talks about it as like these aha moments where like all of a sudden everything you've done and everything you're going to do comes into Almost like a perfect view, and like you have like this epiphany. And I remember sitting there and I'm like, oh my God, Dr. Gerard Van Grinsven told me that in his own way, like three or four years ago, that I had completely forgotten. And it was actually in that moment, a very moment, I remember what I was wearing, I remember my school bag, I remember seeing Dr. Snow that I decided that this is what I would essentially give my career to and my life to, if you will. And so it was that decision on that day, and I said, you know, I'm going to be a healthcare innovator and find ways um, to apply my passions and skills um, to improve health systems, whether it's in Canada, in the United States, or around the world.
0: So your your aspirations to be a hotelier when you're younger. That's your right. Your mom's a nurse. That's you right. You have this chance meeting with uh, Gerard from not the Four Seasons, but the Gerard was from the Ritz-Carlton. That's right. You have Ann Snowden who walks into your life and you have that big aha moment. That's right. And where do you go from there?
1: So I was working um, for the Ivy Center for Health Innovation and then sort of a few months into that, I got a internship at Leamington Hospital. They called me a community engagement intern. So I was really just an intern. And the first project I was given was to really do a community needs analysis for our mental health and addiction services or Americans would call it behavioral health services. So um, this project was really an inspiration from our chief nursing executive at the time, her name's Roberta Gerezny, and had a real passion um, for improving local access to these types of services. So basically what we did is we went out into the community and we spent about six months working with community stakeholders, everyone everyone and their mother who would listen to us or give us time and talking to them about, f- um, about what their real needs were in this area. Um, we kind of already knew that Leamington and the county are service when it comes to this area, uh, but we're going out just to validate that our, our hypothesis was correct. And so we met with students, we met with um, people who use the system, we met with um, other community providers that work in this space um, that provide different services. And we really tried to get down to a list of what were the main services that were people were looking for. And then from that, try to figure out what could be the solution to increase access to care for the county using Leamington Hospital as the base. So that was essentially my first step into healthcare, And I'm so thankful for it because there are a number of um, situations that I was put in that really solidified like why I wanted to be in healthcare. Um, should I tell you about one? Yeah, yeah. yeah so the f- Give me the most—the the one that had the most impact <laughs> sure, sure. on you in that role. Yep, so the f- there is only one. And it was, we we're actually at Kingsville Secondary School talking to, I think it was the first week of school for these um, grade 12 students. And we got invited to their assembly to talk to them about the project we we're working on and how uh, we, were, we actually we wanted them to complete a survey. And so my colleague and I got up there we explained who we were. Hey, we're from Leamington Hospital. Fill out this survey. Let us know what you think. Thanks. See you later. And so if you've ever been to Kingsville High School, all their, uh, all their assemblies were in Migration Hall. Um, and then so my colleague and I left. And Migration Hall is? Migration Hall is a separate hall attached to, I don't even think it's attached to the high school. And there's like a big parking lot out front right off of Main Street there in Kingsville. And so my colleague and I left. We gave our presentation left. And all of a sudden, this student comes running up to us as we're leaving, And this student is like weeping, like crying and crying and crying some more. And the problem when people cry is that I start to cry. So here we are in the parking lot in the sweltering heat. You know, here's the student running up to us, walking up to us weeping, can't even form a sentence. I'm like, oh God, like, what did we do? Like, we're just kind of interns. I hope we didn't say something wrong. And now we're not, not that we could get fired as interns, but just get let go. And long story short, This student um, brings herself together and starts to explain that um, her brother had been addicted to opiates, which is a big problem right now if you've been following the news, so painkillers. I believe it was painkillers and was finally, um, he had been like addicted for years and was finally ready to get clean. And so she was frustrated and and sad because um, this had happened the night before she reached or he reached out to her to get help. And she said that she had spent, she spent two hours online trying to find help for him, but just couldn't figure it out. Didn't know where to go, didn't know who to call. And she wondered if we could help given what we were doing. And what was interesting is that is at that moment that I realized this actually isn't a student. Um, Kingsville High School is a public school. They don't wear uniforms. This person was dressed very casually. It actually happened to be a young teacher. And I thought to myself, oh my gosh, like if, if a teacher who we expect is resourceful, we expect is somewhat entrepreneurial, we expect is a leader in the community, can't find services for her brother who wants to get clean, how could we expect anyone, you know, p- perhaps someone who is addicted or who, someone who does have mental health challenges to find um, the service that they need? And so that is where I guess my my why I wanted to get into healthcare to help people turned into my must, if you will. And I thought to myself, we must find a way to, as I say, humanize the health system so that people can access the care that they need and ultimately live the life that they want to live. And I will never forget that moment and I still think about it today.
0: What were you feeling in that particular moment? Like when you think back, were you you scared? Did you just not know how to react?
1: Um, I actually felt, sad for her i felt like the system had cheated her and her brother since they are both taxpayers Um, as as ontarians as canadians we pay heavily for our system and it should work you know i would never pay starbucks ten thousand dollars a year and be okay with them not getting me a coffee every day right but we do the same thing in healthcare. we're at least here in ontario where we pay thousands of dollars and we should be able to get the service that we need but oftentimes we don't um, so I felt um, cheated on her behalf. But then another, another part of me felt excited as if, as if I was hosting a dinner party and giving someone a plate of food because I knew exactly who she needed to talk to. And so um, it wasn't within an hour we had connected her to our, mentor, our addiction specialist um, at Leamington Hospital and they got on the phone and they figured out a plan. And as far as I know her brother's doing well and so is she.
0: Who says interns can't do that's real right. impactful work.
1: That's right, that's right.
0: You're listening to No Coaster Needed. This is a conversation with Zane Ismail. He is a senior consultant, strategic support services at the Henry Ford Health System in Detroit, Michigan. If you like what you've heard so far, consider sharing it with a friend or on social media. It helps a lot. Before we move on to Zane's current role, a funny communication story about epidurals.
1: Um, We're experiencing um, a season where our birth volumes were falling. Um, so we tried to freshen that up and make sure that um, we we're demonstrating to the community how we are delivering value. Um, so that was good. And then... Making sure people choose
0: your hospital when they're
1: that's having right. a baby? That's right. So there are a lot of rumors going around that for whatever reason, Leamington Hospital doesn't provide epidurals. And that, for, for whatever reason, was keeping people... F- I mean there are other reasons but that was one reason that rumor that people were not choosing Leamington Hospital and going to Windsor Regional. That's really interesting that that rumor <laughs> Cause I think affected you. So before my time I think it was true, I think. So what I did is like this is this isn't right. So what we did was we actually made um I called our graphic design company that we work with and we made this giant I have a picture of it I'll send <laughs> you. We made this giant um you know that foam board cutout stuff. Yeah we made this giant foam board cutout of like a syringe, like an epidural, and it says we have epidurals. And at any community event we did, or I I just had a picture made of it too, so I posted it to our Facebook, we just posted it. And we're just flat out, no, we have epidurals, like come here if you wanna deliver a baby, right? Um so that was that was a funny little tactic.
0: That's that's a funny thing that you may only see at a smaller that's hospital, right? Yeah, right? I don't
1: know if being so abrupt or so bold about marketing or communications would fly in a larger organization. Um, and that's what was the beauty of Leamington is that I mean it was so small, we could be extremely agile, we could just do things. I could literally yell down the hall and say to our CEO Terry Shields. Um, who was unbelievably empowering um, and was just a gem to work with and say, hey Terry, can we do this? Yep, do it right now and we just get it done.
0: So your career seems to be all about circles. Yes. Um, About a year and a little bit ago, uh, you got a phone call. I did. From an organization that is probably really like True to your heart, or yeah, really close to your heart.
1: I know, so I'm going back to where I was born. So, oh, you were even born I at was, the Henry Ford. Yes, I was. So, my mom, being a nurse there, especially in the labor and delivery area, um, decided that my myself and my twin sister would be born there, which was a great, great idea. Um, and it's been this so this circle. So, the story is about um, let's see, about almost four years into my career with Leamington Hospital, and just over two years in my Final position with Leamington, I start to realize that given where the Ministry of Health is going and where I thought the province was going with healthcare, um, I knew there's going to be a lot of challenges. And unfortunately for people like me who are non-clinical, um, it gets harder and harder to justify why you would want people like us on the payroll. And especially when hospitals are cutting left and right, you know, it's sort of it's sort of like bare bones healthcare. We're just going to fund clinical positions, people delivering care and just very lean leadership. Mm-hmm. And, and consolidation
0: so, across the that's board, right, right?
1: That's right. So I saw that coming. And then I also realized that for my career and career and aspirations, of the things I wanted to get involved in, I needed to step it up and be in a, a larger system. And then also, and I hope, you know, to any of my public sector colleagues that are listening, you know, this is no offense, but Working in healthcare in Ontario likely means you're a public servant, which I was. And there's a certain culture that comes along with being a public servant where expectations aren't too high. Um, You're really well paid, you have a pension, and it's almost like this government mentality and work ethic. And I started to realize that that didn't line up with who I claim to be more of like an entrepreneur, innovator, go getter. And I realized that I had a decision to make. Either I could stay here and you know, be here for the rest of my life in Ontario's public sector or take a jump in the dark and perhaps fall flat on my face or perhaps be uh, someone completely different, if you will.
0: Move from public healthcare to private healthcare yeah, in the or, United States. Right? That's right.
1: That's right. And there are some nuances, but essentially I put it out to my network, which the job at Leamington allowed me to build a huge network of people and people that I still keep in contact with and our collaborators and colleagues and many mentors um, and so I sort of put it out to my network that, hey, if there are any opportunities I'd be interested in coming to Michigan, particularly Henry Ford, to work there, going back to where I was born. <laughs> and it was actually through, at the time, I was also allowed to take um, the Davidson Fellowship for Entrepreneurs and Digital Health at the Henry Ford Innovation Institute. And it was through contacts I made there that actually referred me to um, my boss, um, the director of our project management office, and. Long story short, he ended up sending me an email and then, then a phone call and strongly encouraging me to apply for the position he had posted, which is the position I have now.
0: Uh, so again, coming entirely full circle. That's right. Uh, you're now a senior consultant in enterprise project management That's right, at yeah. the Henry Ford. That's right. What does that mean?
1: Sure. So the enterprise project management office supports... Um, Henry Ford Health Systems um, executive leadership and senior leadership at making sure essentially whatever they want done across our five hospitals and health plan um, every year gets done. So a lot of our work is very project management focused. Um, It's a lot of meetings, a lot of agenda making, note taking and just really supporting um, our senior leadership in, in kind of being their hands and feet in the system and making sure things get done.
0: So you're a change maker in your organization.
1: Yeah. What do you feel the biggest changes coming to healthcare are? Um, Coming down, so you know this probably isn't new to anyone from healthcare that's listening, but um, the biggest one is sort of this rise of the consumer that people talk about, where people today demand almost a retail experience from anything they do. So when you go to Starbucks, you have an app, you can buy things easily prices are transparent, how you're going to be delivered, the product is transparent, blah, 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 blah. you can connect online, you can book online, you can schedule online. And it's, it's that mentality that now healthcare consumers, if you will, have and are expecting health systems to meet that need. So health systems have been pretty, really and pretty good at delivering healthcare in the way that they've always wanted to, sort of this doctor-patient relationship, come into my clinic, Um, You know, we'll see you in a week or we'll see you next Tuesday at 5, where now consumers are saying, no, 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 I want to come in now, I want to see you here, actually, I want to schedule on my phone, actually, I don't even want to schedule on my phone, just call me on my phone or let's do a FaceTime visit and talk about it then. So consumers have empowered themselves and other industries have taught them how to be empowered and now demanding the health system um, to meet them in that way as well.
0: Now, you were just at the Consumer Electronic right. Show in Las Vegas, yes, was. which is the largest consumer electronic show in the country, yes, uh, actually in North America. Yes, it is. Is that kind of what you saw as well as far as healthcare innovation? Yeah. There? So
1: the Consumer Electronics Show, and specifically I was attending sort of the healthcare um, portion of it, which was technically called the Digital Health Summit. And in my opinion, the, the the digital health summit focuses on very consumer-facing technology. So it's not a sort of medical device show, or we don't necessarily talk about medical devices. It's more about talking about very consumer-facing technologies so like the Fitbits, um, you know, different the Muse band. I don't know if you heard of it. No. Like, it's like a brain sensing. I don't even, I'm probably not even doing it justice. It's a band that you can wear, and they've put the technology now into sunglasses to actually measure or map measure. Um, I guess your cognitive function, so they can basically tell you know if you're stressed or nervous, or they have an app now that that syncs with your your headband, and you can practice mindfulness and things like that. Um, But this conference isn't less focused around healthcare, specifically from the lens of provider-based organizations, which I am from, Um, and it's more focused on really the rooms full of technologists and kind of thinkers and geeks, and there's some research people. Uh, the pharmaceutical industry is well presented there well represented there as well as health insurance plans what i observed if i sum up everything that i saw um, this year by the way is really focused around neuroscience given the shout out to the muse band Um, what i observed is that um, health systems are very good at delivering care at the point of care which almost sounds like a redundant statement (laughs) but they they they're good at delivering care when you're in the emergency room, or when you're in the doctor's clinic, or when you're in you know, the surgical suite. But now that we have all these technologies, if, if we wanna stay relevant as health systems, and this is incredibly important, I think, for publicly funded health systems, if they wanna stay relevant in the eyes of their taxpayers, uh, digital tools will allow us to shift from um, having a voice at the point of care, if you will, to now have a voice at the point of thought, at the point of activity, and at the point of consumption. So the way we think, the way we act, or the activities we choose, and what we ultimately consume um, is what shapes our health in digital tools, through Fitbits, through the Muse band, through you know geo-trackers, whatever else they have out there, should be a way that health systems can feed into as a healthcare coach and say, no, no, you probably shouldn't eat that, actually think this way, and you probably shouldn't skydive.
0: <laughs> I think Google almost like calls it the zero moment of truth, That's where right. like, I want to know what I want to know now. That's right. I, I don't want to have to go somewhere specific to get it. Yep. Um, you also do tons of other stuff besides yeah. your job, some yeah. in healthcare, actually most in healthcare. Yeah, it all connects.
1: It all connects. I want to talk about Rise. Sure. So yeah. what is Rise? Okay. So let me try to do some justice. <laughs> so Rise is this really interesting, um, are charity Um, out of Toronto based in Toronto and what they are is they are a collaboration between the Center for Addiction Center for Addictions and Mental Health which is Canada's most prominent and leading uh, mental health and addictions specialty hospital and thought leader thought partner and then um, it's also a partnership between them and the Rotman School of Management out of University of Toronto which is as you know one of the best business schools in, in in the country and I'm sure it ranks um, around the world as well. And what they decided to do through the generosity of Sandra Rotman, who's a big philanthropist in Toronto, uh, based on her observed need, is she realized that there needs to be supports for people who have a self-declared history of mental health or addictions challenge to start small businesses or pursue entrepreneurship as opposed to just the normal nine-to-five job. So through her and through Cam H and through Rotman, they created this, this charity, this agency called Rise Asset Development that essentially provides microloans, financing, um, mentorship, coaching, and education to that population to empower them to be entrepreneurs as opposed to you know, going to work nine to five. For
0: people that struggle with mental health.
1: That's right, people that struggle with mental health or addiction. And I wanna be clear, it's also self-declared. So it, it does not require to be a part of their programs any type of actual diagnosis or any type of doctor's letter. You just have to present to the charity and say, listen, you know, I claim to have so, so, and so. You are therefore eligible to be a part of their their, their, um, their program. And so my role with them, and again, it's kind of hard to draw the timeline, but everything connects at a certain level, is right before I started working for Leamington Hospital, but at the same time, that as the intern, I was also through a faith community as a part of leading um, kind of a mentors group, downtown Windsor. And my mentors group sort of grew to about 20 different people and the majority of people that attended this group in, in the city's core and Windsor is not like Toronto in the sense that the downtown core is full of the wealthy and the fabulous. It's unfortunately full of people that have a lot of challenges. And so this group, um, ended up being a group of people that all had some type of mental health issue or some type of devel- developmental disability. And um, for two years uh, we met every Thursday essentially and just talked about life and shared some spiritual concepts and whatnot. And I thought I was going to that to learn or sorry to teach. But really it was a giant learning lesson for me. And what I realized sitting around this table was that there's so many young people who actually had dreams, who actually had aspirations, had Um, you know, big ideas for what they wanted their life to be. But unfortunately, given the social supports that they were on, it prevented them uh, from living out those dreams. Um, And they also didn't have the professional networks or just the social network uh, to better themselves. So I remember sitting there one day and listening to this one young guy talk about how, believe it or not, he wanted to own a long-term care home. He loved taking care of people, and there's no way that this guy would be able to do that Um, Given the current situation. How old was he? He would have been my age actually. So in his 20s early 20s and another uh, Friend of mine who wanted to be an author um, Who actually had dyslexia and there's no path for her to do this And so I remember sitting there like gosh, like we need to do something. Yeah, should I give them money no, you can't do that if you give them money, like who knows what they'll spend it on. And there's a whole bunch of government issues when you're on ODSP or OW. And you can only save so much. ODSP and OWR? So the Ontario, so Ontario Disability, which essentially is like welfare for those that have some type of disability. And then OW is Ontario Works, so welfare, so to speak. Um, so long story short, I remember being on Twitter one day and Ann Snowden's name comes up again. I remember seeing Ann Snowden's name come up on Twitter. I'm like, why is Ann Snowden on Twitter? She's not on Twitter, (laughs) not at the time. And sure enough, her and her team at Ivy in London um, had partnered, the Ivy Business School had partnered with Rise and were launching, it was their launch day, so there's a whole bunch of social media traffic about it. I said, Rise, like, what is this? And so I click on the link and read about the charity. I'm like, oh my gosh, like, this is exactly what these young people in my mentors group need. And so I took a risk, and this was, so I'm, I don't own my own business, even though I claim to be an entrepreneur. I think entrepreneurial, being entrepreneurial is just doing things mm-hmm. and undertaking things. I don't and, know
0: if you claim to be an entrepreneur, I think but you sure. claim to be something else.
1: That's right. An
0: intrapreneur? Yes, Isn't that something I think that- that's
1: more accurate. And so I called, I literally picked up the phone, found their number, called Rise in Toronto, and I said, hi, my name's Zane Ismail, I do this and this, I work for so and so, I'm not calling you on behalf of them, but I have this mentors group and I think you need to come and this is, these are all the partners you'd need to partner with and please come and help. Please come and bring your branch, your charity, open up a branch in Windsor." Mm-hmm. And so, um, um, so I did that and they basically, the guy on the phone, his name's Jeff, hopefully he's listening one day, Um, he basically said, okay, Zane, like no one's ever called us like this, but if you can get basically letters of support from all the agencies we'd need to work with to get referrals into our program and send them to us, we'd be happy to talk about coming to Windsor. And so as I was, between being an intern in Leamington and just sort of being this project coordinator, um, I spent a lot of my free time going around Windsor-Essex, meeting with the same partners that I met with during my day job, to pitch them this other idea. And it was the scariest thing in my life because this was my first time going out, talking to the CEOs and executive directors of these different not for profits or charities and saying, Hi, I'm Zane, believe in me, please make this letter. I'm
0: happen. not officially and, part of this organization,
1: right. but I believe in them so much that I need your support. That's right. I'm just, so I, I quickly decided, Well, I need to personally brand myself. So I said, I'm a community advocate. And that's why I'm here and doing this. So I eventually collected, I think it was either 16 or 18 um, support letters from people like the United Way, people like, um, I think Windsor Regional Hospital threw one in, Leamington Hospital, obviously, um, Family Services, Windsor-Essex, um, the, the drug strategy at the time, um, Pathways to Potential Workforce, Windsor-Essex, all those great people. Um, it took me about, I think, five or six months to collect them and I shipped it off to Toronto one day and boom, essentially they agreed to come to Windsor. And it wasn't long after that that we opened up the first uh, first ever youth small business program in Windsor of Rise Asset Development. And again, life came full circle because one of, um, one of my mentees, if you will, in that mentor's program, the one who was an author, um, ended up getting into um, the program and it was the most powerful experience. So I ended up becoming a youth coach in that program and, you know, helping the program run. But just to see for the first time this individual who was a writer and wanted to write her book now identify herself as an entrepreneur instead of as the diagnosis that she had was just really powerful to see. That's incredible. Yeah, it's really cool.
0: And and something that just kind of came by ha- habit stance just, again, right? It did. It just happened. I don't I don't know if it just happened. You kind of put yourself in the position yeah, to for it to happen for you, yeah, I kind of just threw myself. In yeah, the middle. it's preparation, that's meeting right. just a little bit of chance. That's right. In addition to that, you know, people are probably thinking like, "Oh, that, that's enough." You also um, work on something called hacking health. That's right. Yeah. Can you can you explain what hacking health is?
1: Okay, so hacking health, again, thanks to um, Yvonne Pelon and her team at We Tech Alliance, which is our local uh, regional innovation center. They decided to partner with Hacking Health. Um, so hacking. Let's let's take a step back. So hacking health was founded out of Montreal. So it's a Canadian movement of hackers, designers, healthcare innovators, um, clinicians, non-clinical people, and just generally people that have an interest in transforming the health system. What we do is we get together once a year or, or more times a year as as a community, and we basically have hackathons. So we develop, or we, over the course of the weekend, try to develop or hack out new, largely mobile health solutions for healthcare. So apps that do X, Y, Z, could be in the mental health space, could be, you know, we've seen a lot of like point of care testing come out, um, things, you know, working with cameras on your phone, things like that. And so hacking health is a global movement now. Can't remember exactly how many chapters there are, but there's one and almost, most of the major countries. And then through WeTech Alliance and our partnership in Detroit with TechTown, uh, we founded the first ever cross-border Hacking Health. Um, so Hacking Health Windsor, Detroit. And my role there is to serve as an organizer. So we're going into our fifth year now. And I've also working with the Hacking Health Global team and you know, just trying to support our community of practice around the world um, to make sure that they have the best um, and the most leading thought leadership around how to lead healthcare innovation.
0: Uh, final question. Sure. Uh, so your life, I hate to put it this way, but your life is, is all about circles. That's it's, right. You, you're setting yourself up for roles and positions and opportunities that you didn't even know existed. That's right. So my question is, for anyone listening that's still trying to figure it out, mm. what's your advice to them?
1: What is my advice to people that are trying to figure it out? Um, this might be cliche advice, but it's, you know, if you follow your passion and just stay very focused on Um, you know, what really drives you and what you're really passionate about, eventually you're going to fit into something. And then probably my greatest advice for people listening is don't wait for permission. Um, I did not wait for permission. I did not ask someone for their opinion or their approval to call Rise and get them to Windsor. I did on my own. I empowered myself. Um, When I worked for Leamington, I did not ask for permission as an intern to go around and talk to people about what I was passionate about. I just did it myself. And I I see so many young people that I work with, you know, wait for someone to tell them to do something. Just go do it yourself. And so that would be one. And then another thing is really, and this is a cliche too, just fake it till you make it or like fake it till you become it. Like I still have no idea what I'm doing. But I, I think sometimes we we just assume that People in great positions are either super qualified or, or you know, really, really well trained in you know how to make a project plan. When really, it's not always the case. They're just, you know, using their everyday smarts and, and getting it done. And I think there's a lot to be said for that. Sometimes, um, we ex- we um, disqualify ourselves when really we shouldn't.
0: And that's our show. A big thank you to Zane Ismail. Zane is a Senior Consultant Strategic Support Services at the Henry Ford Health System in Detroit, Michigan. If you want to follow Zane's blog, you can do so at zaneismail.com. That's Z-A-I-N-I-S-M-A-I-L.com. He also shares a lot of great stuff on his Twitter, at IsmailZane, and also on LinkedIn. He mentioned two projects. The first was Hacking Health Windsor Detroit 4, The event takes place on April 13th and 14th at St. Clair College in Windsor. The second was Rise Asset Development. For more information about the program, you can check it out at riseassetdevelopment.com. The two tracks that you heard in the episode today are Highway 26 by Foxhart Fishman and How Deep is Down by Baby God. If you want to follow me on social media, you can do so at Jacob McCourt. And to find all of the episodes of No Coaster Needed, you can go to NoCoasterNeeded.com or your favorite podcasting service. Thanks for listening.